It's the KV Pod. Let's get it. I can hear the buzzing, but the people on the podcast can't hear the buzzing. How's the pizza, Shalene? Really good. That first bite. I am asking someone about things that they can't hear on the podcast. Because Shalene's not on the podcast, Larissa's on the podcast. Woo! What's up, friend? Not much, just not eating pizza. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you can... <laughs> You can just, uh, I guess, eat pizza in between uh, talking, I guess. Yeah. But I'm super happy uh, we were able to finally record this conversation. Um, I feel like we are way behind like the, the, trend. the, the trend, the cultural wave that is Barbie movie. Um, but I still wanted to have this conversation. I still wanted it on the record. Um, and I think it's a good movie to think about and discuss. And so even if we're like months behind its release and the mainstream culture is done like talking about it, we're not done talking about That's it. Right. So, um, yes. Do, do we, when did the movie come out? Um, in the summer of 2023. So Yeah, and it's December right now. So six months ago, something like that. Mm -mm. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, I wanted to talk about like the movie and like the, the the arc of all the characters and like the meaning of the movie and what have you. But Larissa, just to start out, did you actually play with Barbies when you were a kid? I did. I did. All sorts of Barbies. Barbies, Bratz, scene dolls, all of it. I forgot about Bratz, mm -hmm. that that was a whole thing. Um, I don't think my sister played with Barbies. I think that was one of the band... Smart band. Dolls, yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you regret being allowed to play with Barbies? Um, I don't know if it was helpful for me at all. So I'm not going to let my daughter do that. Somebody could convince me otherwise later, but at this point I think it's just showing an idealized body form that I don't want her to uh, subconsciously think is the superior. Yeah, okay, cool. And I guess that kind of came up in the movie too of like, the daughter in the movie, Sasha, is like, you're everything wrong with, like, I don't know, feminism or whatever of, like, you're making girls feel bad about themselves and, and whatever. And it sounds like you're saying that you would kind of agree with that at some yeah. level. Yeah. Um, one thing, I guess, I don't know. I also watched Barbie way after it came out because, I don't know, I just waited to see it. I guess I've seen it two times and both of them have been here at your house. Which right. Is, yeah, uh, we just streamed it. but um, Barbie fanatics over here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, one thing that I was hearing about the movie as it was coming out when it was in theaters, when everyone was talking about it, and is they were saying, like, it's about patriarchy. Like, it's about patriarchy, and it affirms patriarchy. And then because of that, it's super polarizing as a movie. And um, you Wait, you heard it affirmed? patriarchy yeah or not okay that's that uh, mm. that's not what i meant it like affirmed that it's a thing and then oh. the movie was like anti-patriarchy i guess mm, so confirm maybe confirm there you go yeah thank you it like confirmed that it's definitely a thing and the whole point of this movie is to discuss and foster discussion about like patriarchy and what's wrong with the world because of patriarchy and then i watched the movie and i was like I'm not really sure that that's the point. Not getting that vibe of the movie, um, and we can get into that more later of of what we think the movie is actually about. Obviously, the movie contains patriarchy, and that's like a major plot point, especially for Ken and Ken Land <laughs> and all that great stuff. Um, but I'm not convinced that's what the movie is actually about. Um, but you've also mentioned that you enjoy the movie. Can you tell me a little bit about like? What do you enjoy about it? I guess before we get into talking about patriarchy and all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, it's definitely funny. So that's a big plus that they have a lot of uh, tongue-in-cheek type of humor. Oh, yeah. Um, so then it's fun to kind of like uh, catch it like a second later. Like, oh, you're making fun of something. Or like, oh, you're commenting on this or that. Um, but besides that, I think 
some of the points resonated with me as a female and things that I struggled with, um, I mean, and continue to struggle with um, as like a teen girl um, or as an adult female. Um, yeah, that I have felt those things and it was interesting to see it played like that and like in a humorous light that especially like in a maybe a Christian context, mm -hmm. you have to be so far like away from feminism, you can't really even talk about like all these subversive things that females have to deal with mm -hmm. because we don't need to worry about that as Christians, mm. um, Christian females. So as I appreciated that it was kind of brought in the light um, in a creative way. Yeah. So if I, if I'm understanding kind of what you're maybe alluding to is like the part when Barbie comes to the real world and she's like walking down the sidewalk and she's like being objectified and the constructor construction workers are catcalling her and like she's being just like overly sexualized and all this. And she's and you know, in the movie, she's just like, ah, like this is really gross and I don't know really what to call it. And there's like undertones of violence and I don't, yeah, it's whatever. Jarring. Yeah, it's jarring. And then like there's a part I like made a note. Um, of like, she's like, oh, I feel like scared, but not toward anything in particular. And someone's like, that's anxiety. And yeah. she's like, oh no. And I'm sure plenty of people watching the movie were like, yeah, that's exactly like part of my experience. Um, so I guess is that, that's kind of like the aspect of Barbie's journey that you're talking about of something you've experienced. Oh yeah, definitely. That's and then maybe something that's been, sorry to cut you off, oh. but like something that's been minimized, maybe even in the name of like, Christian values of like, oh, that's not who you are, so we're not even going to talk about that being a problem? Yeah. Or did I totally miss where you were headed with that? Um, partially. I think this is the first time I'm verbalizing it um, like I am right now. Uh, definitely that part, like that objectifying thing, because like you have uh, two camps, like the more, I don't know what I can say here, but like the more liberal camp sure. is like Me Too movement, like... I should be allowed to wear whatever I want to wear. And then like, you shouldn't, like, it's not my fault. Like if something happens to me yeah. and then because that's so liberal and it's like, okay, that's not necessarily like Christian females aren't going to live like that. I can't just wear everything. There's still the conversations of modesty because of that. We don't necessarily talk about the gray in between or like that. It does feel like that, that even if you are a, um, an attractive female that you have to minimize your attractiveness and like if you look good in something that you could be causing your brother to stumble and you might not even be doing it intentionally and I think that's in a whole element of like the whole modesty conversation is like you could be attractive unintentionally and you feel bad about that mm. like and it's a problem that you're causing people to stumble it's a Christian lingo or like you're gonna go outside and be objectified just because you feel cute um, yeah. 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 And uh, yeah. Okay. And that makes more sense with regard to like the Christian aspect of it. Um, and I think being on the other side of it, of being the guy of like, but I've also heard things even said to, um, some of my family or just other girls of like them being told like, Oh, the way you dress and like the movies you're watching when your brothers are around or whatever, like that can cause them to stumble. And so you are responsible for for their response to that yeah which do we have effect on each other and do we need to be mindful of each other sure but then how far do i take that right like if i start having lustful thoughts as a guy or whatever like is the person i'm looking at responsible for that for how they're dressed or is that my responsibility because it's my brain and so that's kind of like the classic tension i think that a lot of christians guys and girls get into when this conversation comes up right and i think it's especially confusing as a female uh, because there is an element that i adhere to i think that modesty i should not be you know the trends like of basically wearing lingerie out like that is not something i would adhere to mm -hmm. i think um what maybe has hurt more and like what i've seen other Christian females struggle with, especially like during the years of puberty where your body's changing and you're not like sure what to do or how to dress it. And like you see all these cool outfits and you're like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to look like. And you're not intentionally trying to be seductive. Mm -hmm. You're not intentionally trying to get um, somebody to look at you. You want to feel cute or you're trying to navigate your own body, but then 
responsibilities being like thrusted on you of like, okay, you are the one causing your part, uh, causing your brothers in Christ. to stumble yeah. or like you're the one causing all this attention. You need to change. And I think that's where my heart has hurt for myself and other people where like they just might be wearing a form fitting outfit and not be thinking anything of it. And nothing's actually being revealed, but even that alone. Skin wise. Yeah. That even though it's, since it's clinging to their skin and they might have a naturally lovely form Mm -hmm. that that's even like that. It's not okay for this sister, but this sister who might be, you know, overweight or like uh, less curvy, less curvy in the right places that if she wore the same outfit, it's no big deal. We don't need to comment on that. So even like, so then what does that say to those two different people with their different bodies? Mm hmm. Um, that it's it almost could be taken as it's a crime to be more beautiful, um, again in the stereotypical way, and then and we're affirm yeah we're maybe it could come across as demonizing or not demonizing different body types and different shapes yeah even which is never not the intention I don't think anyone would say like that's what they're trying to do but I think it's hard to strike the the clear the level of clarity. Right. And communicate the nuance with this whole conversation. Right. But I don't know. I don't. Know. I don't know if I have any answers or deep wisdom. But that. But but it sounds like you're saying like the Barbie movie kind of puts its finger on a conversation that maybe isn't had. Or do you think not had enough in Christian circles or not had in different ways in Christian circles, like in the Christian circle, it's only had certain ways or I don't know. What, what do you think the Barbie movie sheds light on or does for this conversation that you, it sounds like you appreciate it did. Um, I think because, okay. So I think a lot of times, um, the conversation, especially for females, like in a Christian circle, the modesty conversation is just very much like you are responsible, um, for your, brothers like based on what you wear you can't wear this or that it's never I feel like I haven't had as many conversations about like the heart or like you might genuinely have a lovely form and like how do you balance that like as being somebody who is attractive um yeah like are you do you feel bad about being attractive like Mm -hmm. That's a whole side point. But I think actually what I want to point out is I don't know how often, so the girls are hearing this conversation about modesty, but I don't know how often the boys are hearing the reverse. Like you are responsible for your eyes. Like the yeah. the girls are being like, you're responsible for what they're looking at because it's your fault. Yeah. But the dudes aren't ever like called higher of seemingly. The dudes aren't yeah. often called higher of like, Not as often. yeah, like this is. Shalene is agreeing off mic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think that's the part that hurts. I've heard a group called Axis talk about modesty and just how like we, oh, they're so great about how they talk about it. Like that modesty cannot just be for the females about what she wears and what she doesn't. But it, we need to call our Christian brothers higher of like, even if you see a girl and she is attractive and you're tempted to lust, like that is on you. That's your relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I think so the, I think just in my experience and also experience talking to other guys that have grown up in a Christian environment. I mean, young boys and young men are definitely talked to about lust and temptation and all of that, but that's always with regard to um, the computer or movies or screens or things like that. And I guess maybe it's talked about in terms of real life women as well, but yeah, I guess... I don't know. Yeah, I I think there is a piece of that. It's not that that is never being talked about. I think our young men are being talked to about that, and that is being addressed. But maybe there's a component of that conversation of specifically identifying, like, who is responsible in the specific situation if, like, one of your peers or a real-life woman is somehow if you're being tempted in that situation and I don't even, I don't want to say she's tempting you. Um, but if you find yourself being tempted, um, that that is not automatically her responsibility. Now, is it physically possible that it could be in a certain circumstance? Sure. Um, 
but it's not an automatic causality of like she's wearing whatever and so it's it's her fault that you're thinking this and then you're and then therefore that relieves you of any responsibility and how you respond and yeah i don't know um yeah i think there's definitely growth for how that conversation takes place right and it's so intricate for like we're not even talking that much about the barbie movie but that's we'll come back (laughs) okay um even uh, like down to the level of like for females you have to be in control of your accidents. You could have a mm. wardrobe malfunction. If your bra strap is showing, yeah. even for a moment, like that can cause, like I've had conversations like that, that brother seeing a bra strap, yeah. strap could cause him to stumble. And it's like, for females, that's usually unintentional. Like if you see my bra strap, that is an accident, I promise you. But then it's like you have to be hyper aware, hyper alert of like, okay, is my bra strap showing? Is this... Or that, like... Out of place or whatever, right. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, and so... That's your fault. I don't know. Yeah, so then I guess getting back to the Barbie movie, I don't necessarily... Oh, we've got a little... We've got a background audience. So getting back to the Barbie movie, I don't know. Again, so I don't... The Barbie movie has these points in it that resonate um with people obviously and i think that's kind of um speaks to its popularity why people liked it but i thought it was interesting that um to me the barbie movie comes across as a very humanistic um movie with a humanistic message um and i think i don't know something that i just haven't heard many people talking about and and i don't know i haven't necessarily gone on podcasts and listened to like movie people talk about it but um when Barbie goes to the real world, she encounters patriarchy, obviously. And then, and then Ken, when he goes to the real world, he encounters patriarchy and he's like, this is awesome. And like, there's men and horses everywhere. And it's like, I want to bring this back to Barbie land. And so, um, and so he does that. And then Barbie land turns into Ken land and all of that. Um, but when I, when I get through the movie and I look at it, I realize at the end, like Ken actually, relinquishes Kenland and he gives up on patriarchy. Um, and I'm kind of skipping to the very end of the movie um, where Barbie like rejects him as a boyfriend or cause she's tricking him. She's like trying to take back uh, Barbie Kenland and turn it back into Barbie land or whatever. And then he, and then you have the whole song of like the whole song of like, I'm just Ken. And, and he's basically like, well, what's my purpose? Um, and he, he lets go of that and Barbie is like, well, maybe it's not, it's Barbie and maybe it's not Barbie and Ken. Like she has this line of like, maybe it's Barbie and it's Ken. And then like toward the end, he's like, Ken is me and stuff like that. And so I don't know. I think it's just very clear from how the movie develops, especially toward the end, especially with Ken's emotional arc and his motivational arc through the movie, like he doesn't land an end with patriarchy. Like he relinquishes it and then has, and then has this crisis where he's like, well then if, if I'm not Barbie's, you know, pet basically, like he starts the movie in and then he's like, well, and I'm not patriarchy man, then who is Ken? And then like, they basically just end with like, Ken is me. Like I am just, it is who I am, which is like just a very humanist message of like, I am self-defined and I am self-referential. And so whoever Daniel is, is just what I am doing and who I am being. And it kind of opens the door to defining myself and defining my own destiny. And I think Barbie also ends up in that same place as well, where she starts the movie with, um, it's like it's Barbie land and like this is basically like second wave feminism utopia like we we rule everything and we can be whoever we want um and then she finds patriarchy and it's like oh my gosh and then she, and then when she goes back to Barbie land she doesn't reestablish Barbie land like they do get Ken land to collapse or whatever and they have the Ken war which is kind of funny and all of that <laughs> but then at the end she's like no I just want to be a human and I want and she's like accepting the complex emotions that she's come across. She's accepting like the suffering and the discomfort of like, I have cellulite and I'm going to die one day, (laughs) you know, just like even those like seemingly like kind of humorous aspects of the movie, like to me, the Barbie movie is 
showing a journey of like what it means to be human. Um, I don't know. And I, I don't know. I feel like I'm talking a lot, uh, monologuing a lot right now about that, but I don't know if you, did you, does that make sense to you or do you see that kind of arc or what, what are your takeaways of like from the narrative of the movie? Um, yep. I would agree mostly with what you're saying. And I think the first time we watched it together, I remember saying like the big crux of the movie is whenever she's like deciding to be a human. And I remember that part falling flat for me. Hmm. Um, Yeah. I remember you saying that like when they're in the clouds and like, right. Billie Eilish is about to sing. Yeah. which (laughs) It's a good, it's a fun song, but um, yeah, that, that, that's the biggest goal is to feel and this like conversation she's having with her creator is like the creator is like oh you don't need me I couldn't control you and she's like oh so I'm autonomous like I can just be a human and like I can just choose to feel um I remember like for me that was the biggest like letdown in the movie of like this is a this is how we're ending. Yeah, like this is a conversation with the creator, and the creator's like, "I'm not that special," <laughs> and I don't know if that's just my Christian lens of like, "Man, that stinks," because that's not true. And I, I don't know when we watched it the first time, you articulated, "Oh, it's a very humanistic uh, philosophy," and that goes with the whole vibe of the movie. I'm like, "Oh, yeah, well, that makes sense why I didn't love that because I'm not a humanist." <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it's just. Um, this idea of like that humans are self-defined and humans are self-referential, um, I think was the takeaway that the, that the, the narrative in the movie was clearly communicating. Um, but then it's interesting because I think a lot of people really liked this movie. And you even said earlier that like you appreciated some of the things that the movie brings up and some conversations that it points out. Um, I know I've talked to some other, um, ladies in particular, um, that like the big speech that the mom gives when she's like in the weird Barbie house and, and she's like, I'm supposed to be pretty and healthy, but I'm also supposed to be thin, but I'm supposed to what, and I'm supposed to like have money, but I'm not supposed to ask for money. And I'm supposed to like love being a mother, but I'm also not supposed to talk about my kids. And like, she's like, just like venting these frustrations of all the contradictions that our culture seems to shout at women and expect them to uphold, but it's contradictory and illogical. And so it just leads to like frustration and, and whatever. And I've, I've talked to a few people that like really loved that speech or rant in the movie because it resonated with their experience. Um, I guess, I don't know for you, is that something that resonated with you in particular or? Yes. Um, and I think like as a side note, I felt like that was the most, Uh, controversial point that I'd heard about leading up to the movie that there's this big speech that's super feminist, feministic and uh, all about tearing down the patriarchy. Um, So I was so surprised when the speech happened and I watched it in theaters opening night and in the theater, everyone was so quiet whenever she gave the speech because we were all just like, yeah, that's right. We feel like that, that it feels impossible to be a woman um, and it feels like that on a secular note, but it also feels like that, like you can add in Christian elements too of like, wow, it feels impossible to be a woman in a Christian world um, as well. But yes, like you feel like that, that you are supposed to look a certain way, but you know that that's not the way to look or, you know, things are photoshopped. So I didn't think it was necessarily controversial either. I feel like most women could identify with different components of it of feeling like you do have to be extraordinary or you have to just find the perfect balance um of this quality or that quality like the whole healthy versus thin like you can't say that you want to be thin but everyone wants to be thin every girl wants to have that ideal uh body shape that like society has pushed as the ideal but we're not like really supposed to like go after that um sure right because if you really want it uh, um uh, what's the word like explicitly then it's like well then you're being shallow or whatever or something like that like yeah. like th- 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 that somehow reflects negatively on your character or your motivations or something like yeah that. or even because there is like the opposite of like body positivity in our culture too that if oh, you're yeah. 
trying to, uh, if you want the ideal body, then you're saying that these other body types aren't, um, aren't great too. And you're like, well, yeah, no, all body top types are great. But like, if I had my way, I would still pick this Barbie <laughs> look. So we're all like trying to convince ourselves we're okay. And we really want to look like Barbie. But like to say that is like to diminish these other types. So yeah, I don't know. And uh, actually, this is kind of giving me some ideas that I hadn't necessarily had about this conversation prior Welcome. to podcasting right yeah thank you for uh giving me some ideas but like i've been listening to i haven't read any books on it but i've been listening to like some people some christians talk about um aesthetics and the christian philosophy of aesthetics and how it's like i think um in the united states like we can have a conversation of like what do christians believe about truth and like what is true and like is there objective truth and like Yes, there's parts of the church that are starting to give up biblical views on that and whatever. And but like for the most part, like there's still that conversation. And then you could ask, like, what is the Christian perspective of good and morality? And it's like, okay, we can most people can have a comfortable conversation of like, oh yeah, the Bible and God is the ultimate authority on that, and Jesus was the perfect embodiment of good and morality and all of that. But then if you go, okay, well, what is beautiful? And I've just been listening to Christians talk about how, like, the church broadly, at least in the United States, has very much lost their way in having an idea of what is beautiful and having and has totally lost their way in having a sense of, like, that God is the standard of what's beautiful and defines what's beautiful. And so if we have a standard and a definition, then we objectively can identify things that are not beautiful and not um, aesthetically high quality or whatever. And so, I mean, we can talk about music and painting, but this conversation with you now is like making me think that like the conversation of aesthetics applies to the human body as well. And I mean, I'm, that's probably a whole thing that goes back to, you know, the Greeks and, right. and you know, and the perfect form and who was the guy with the with the, the perfect proportions. Was that Da Vinci? Yeah. That uh, Shalina is saying yes. I think there was someone before him. With the circle and the square and he's got like four arms. And... Oh, well, yeah, that's Da Vinci for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so like, yes, like obviously the human form has been part of the conversation of aesthetics. But then I'm wondering like, well, what is the Christian perspective of the human body from an aesthetic uh, perspective. Yeah. And so I don't necessarily know if I have answers to that, but Shalene's like, no. <laughs> um, but like, if we, I'm just kind of throwing out this idea of like, if, if God is the definition of what's beautiful and we can then have objective conversations about like, what is a good story and what is a bad story? What is good art and what is bad art? Right. Can we then go as far as to say, like, there is a good human form and there's not a good human form? You're kind of shake, mm -hmm. tentatively shaking your head yes. Um, I think if we want to go the healthy, healthy, unhealthy route, that's maybe an easier thing to... It's less tense for us to discuss. decide that. But I don't know. Sorry. I, I don't know if we're going to get anywhere definitive with that line of thinking, but I'm just kind of throwing... Like, I haven't necessarily thought about that. Yeah. Um, prior. And I'm not suggesting that certain body types are objectively and unobjectively beautiful. But I guess what I mean is like the way we dress ourselves and the way we um, care for our bodies, yeah. I guess, is where I'm more going with um, the aesthetic. I'm not trying to say like, oh, if you have like wide hips or narrow hips, like one of those is objectively better than the other. I'm not suggesting that idea. Um, Shalene's like, you better not be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not suggesting that. I'm not talking about like body shapes that we can't control um, because God's creation is good. Um, but I don't know, like how much you weigh and how much you eat and how much you exercise and how much you don't exercise. And again, again, that's a whole can of worms of like, can you really control your weight down to like the pound? No, you really can't. Like there's things that are out of our control with regard to those kinds of things, but we also have some level of control. And so it, I guess one thing I'm just kind of asking out loud is like, do we have a responsibility to care for our bodies from an aesthetic perspective? I wonder 
I wonder if so. I don't yeah, know. I think so. I think going back to the Christian female world, like we are taught that, like that mm. you need to use your beauty well, you need to dress well, you need to dress pretty. Like I remember being modesty type of conversations where it's like you don't go to Walmart in your PJs because that's not what a lady does. Mm. Like you dress well and you want uh, even like in marriage, like you want to make your husband, you know, like proud. Um, yeah, going to Walmart in your PJs is definitely like something my parents were like, yeah, no, you do not. Right. And and we never wanted to, but like it's because we were raised to not want to. And it was never, ever, ever an option. And my parents never, ever did. Like my parents don't leave the house just like wearing sweats or anything like that. Oh, I wasn't feeling one way or the other. Um, yeah, I think there is a level of, to use a Christian word, stewarding, um, your beauty, your aesthetic well that I think we are responsible for. I think that's the call. Um, yeah, I would, yeah, don't know how I feel about like the ideal form. I think one thing, like the Lord has brought me on so many journeys in regards to beauty, um, mostly because I've had, I have so many intersections naturally with that. Like, for example, I'm an artist, uh, for those of you who don't know that. So like talking about beauty and creativity and art and like what God thinks about that. Or like I have been, uh, I'm an attractive female and as a teenager, I did, that got abused and I put myself in um, not great situations. I remember even thinking like, oh, if I put this shirt on, it's like not my fault. Like if, mm. you know, my, I don't know how, decolletage is like revealed. That's just happens. And that was more maybe like a secular, like when I was in public school and then making the switch into a private school of like, oh no, you can choose what you wear. Um, so that's like this whole journey. And I remember one thing that the Lord was talking to me about is that it feels like as a female, there's almost like this hierarchy when it comes to beauty. Like you're constantly like, is she prettier than I am? Is she better at this than I am? Is she higher up on the ladder than I am? And I remember like just distinctly realizing that there are so many people that I would say look beautiful and there's not necessarily the same qualities or the same physical features on all of them. Um, and like, there's so many different types of beauties and it doesn't have to be a hierarchy. Yeah. So that alone makes me feel like maybe there isn't a perfect form. Cause like, if I look at a different culture, like I can see something beautiful and somebody else's features that I don't have. Right. I don't know. Is that making sense? Yeah. Yeah. And it, instead of, Instead of all of the variation being a hierarchy, maybe all the variation is just a color palette. And it's like, instead of asking whether red or blue is better, we can just say red and blue are great because they're not the same thing. Right. Is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Not sure how we got onto that (laughs) tangent. I guess we're kind of going back to the the rant or the speech from the movie of the contradictions that are... Yeah, and you upon women. talking about aesthetics. Um, it also reminds me of, like, understanding that I think from a biblical perspective, from uh, believing in God, that there's a level of beauty, like if I was going to define beauty, that necessitates a level of purity, hmm. um, that I think those go hand in hand and should in the Christian mindset. And I think, yeah, that's where, like, a lot of maybe things get, Hurt or lost in translation if you talk about, like, virginity or, um, like, the modesty conversation, that there is a level of ideal in something that is pure Mm. um, and something that is, like, that's beautiful. And if you look at the Lord, like, he is beautiful and he is pure in all his characteristics. Yeah. Uh, And that's beautiful. Right. And so you're, you're speaking to this idea that, like, if you're a virgin and unmarried, then, like, that is a beautiful thing. We could say it that way. But then if you become not a virgin and you're not married, it's like, oh, no, you've tainted something that's beautiful. And now we've lost you've you've lost as a as a woman now an aspect of your beauty because of that. Right. Um, Which 
yeah, I can see why people would say that. But then there's also the aspect, I don't know. And yeah, to kind of also jump on that of, I think we can get into a legalistic um, mindset with things like that, where it's like, oh, if you, um, if you lose your virginity before marriage, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, um, like, I mean, like you willed it or against your will, um, you're at a loss. Like, you're at a loss, you get less. and it and it and it's like, and you're never going to get it back, right? But we don't talk about that in terms of like spiritual purity. Yeah, ex- yeah. right. And that's mm-hmm. sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought, but that's where I was trying to go with like, what if you're very prideful? Does that taint your spiritual beauty, quote unquote? Because that's a sin, and sin is a is talked about as being impure, or like if you are. Um, really disobedient to your parents, or maybe you're a girl who has an anger problem. Like, does that get talked about of like how that does not display the beauty, God's beauty that he has put in you? Um, I think we probably should talk about those things. Um, But for some reason, yeah, I think the the sexual uh, conversation is more um, of a priority in that conversation. Right. And then I get, yeah. And then also with the legalism thing, part of the legalistic mindset is that like, once you've sinned, you're like, you're done and you're never, you're now lower on the ladder. You're less righteous. You're less beautiful. You're less pure. And you've lost something that cannot be redeemed. Yeah. That's irredeemable. You irredeemable. You cannot get that back. Right. Which is not biblical because the reality is, is if you are born man or woman, you are impure and you are a sinner because we are children of Adam and Eve. Our first parents became impure, and so we are born impure. And so even if you're a virgin, that doesn't make you pure, at least in a spiritual sense. That does not make you pure before Christ. And so in a, if we're kind of taking an aesthetic twist on this, you're not beautiful before God in a sense. And we are only beautiful because of Christ and because of his sacrifice that redeems us. And what washes you white, like there's a cleansing that happens. Yeah. Turns your rags into riches. Like there's so much language in the Bible that's basically that, like the connection of purity and beauty and like this ideal of like to be cleansed. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. What would you say? So when you say pure, can I ask you like pure what? Like pure not sin or like what when we can we unpack this idea of purity of like what that even means? Like Yeah. Pure like you're just I don't know, that of what makes that beautiful. Right. I think obviously in God there's a level of perfection. We cannot but I'm not saying that we can achieve that um as humans. I think I don't know, I just think of, like, scriptures in the Bible of, like, blessed are the pure in heart, uh, for they will see God. Um, Mm -hmm. And just this level of, like, having your heart turned towards God and, like, wanting him to cleanse you. And so, like, this even, like, realization, I am unclean. Like, that alone, I think, Mm -hmm. is important for, like, a level of purity of, like, I am unclean. I need you to cleanse me. Um, I don't know. That's reminding me of the woman with the issue of blood. And how, in a ceremonial sense, like she would have been ceremonially unclean, if I understand the Old Testament correctly. Right, but and there so, was a desire. Yeah. But yeah, no, exactly. Like, in the legalism of the Old Testament, it's like, you're unclean, you're out, and there's nothing for you. But she recognized her uncleanness and recognized that Christ was the, the, ga- hope, was the hope of like, no, I can be redeemed, I can be cleansed of this impurity, if you want to call it that way. And she was, and Christ acknowledged her and didn't shun her and shame her for that, but your your faith has made you well and affirmed that. Um, And God spent, or Jesus spent so much time with unclean, sinful people because he came to redeem and to seek the sick who need a doctor. It's not the well that need a doctor. Right, or maybe even those who... 
like just even the realization mm. of like I am sick or I am well. Like I'm even thinking of Isaiah. Like I woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And then the coal touches his lips, and the Lord cleanses him there. Mm. Or like what you're saying with like the sick, they realize they're sick, and maybe sometimes our pride gets in the way, and that maybe gets in the way of the Lord like working in us. Um, if I can be so bold to say that, but even just a level of acknowledging to the Lord, I, I have nothing to offer you. And I had to reach that like in my own life as a 15 year old girl who had lost like the, my purity and like the Mm. sexual sense and felt like I didn't have much to offer. Like I had to say to the Lord, I feel like I have no hope. Um, and that my life is ended. I need you to redeem me and to cleanse me. Um, which is like this whole tangent. I feel like I understand, graciously understand a level of purity because of that like hitting rock bottom of Mm. like the Lord has cleansed me and I am a new creation. Yeah. But that's a tangent. Yeah, no, it's okay. I just, yeah, I think it's just so powerful to realize that you're even in, in your virginity is not what makes you clean before God. Right. And so then when we lose that and then realize like, oh, God can redeem even this and God can wash me white as snow, even despite what has happened in my past. Um, and I don't know, and this, and this doesn't just have to be with regard to sexual sin or sexual things that have gone wrong, but just with any type of depravity or any type yeah. of sin that we humans find ourselves in. Like we weren't clean to begin with, because we were born sinners. And so even when we do sin, it's again, it's not an excuse to go and sin because I'm already a sinner and so might as well. Um, but if you think that you were you were clean to even begin with, I think we're already starting off on a place that's not biblical. and we're kind we're 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 missing the point from the beginning. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, that's interesting. But then, yeah, and then so, I don't know, to tie this back into Barbie movie, um, you know, part of that big speech is, like, the contradictions and, like, uh, the culture is telling me all these things and I can't live up to them. And the answer to that in the movie is I am who I am and I define who I am going to be. I'm not going to listen to culture and be defined by culture. I am going to self-referentially be a human. I am Kim. Ken. Sorry, I can't talk. <laughs> I am Ken. Ken is me. Um, I am Barbie. I am a human. And so I'm going to rise above all of the chaos of culture and be my own person. And so that's the humanist response to that. And I think, I don't know, I feel like that's a, a part of the narrative that I think a lot of and even Christians that I've talked to miss in the movie is they really resonate with that speech And they're like, man, yeah, like I do feel that frustration and that conflict and that those contradictions that are held over my head. And then they affirm the whole movie, not not articulating or maybe not realizing that like, but then what does the movie say? And what do we what do we do about that? And even sitting here and again, I'm not a woman and I don't have any of those experiences, but I can still see and and I'm happy to affirm like, yeah, there are those contradictions and there there is messaging in our culture, and maybe even in the church, that is unhelpful, um, that is frustrating and confusing to people. But then the question from there is, well, what do we do about it? And what is the Christian response to that? Um, and I guess, I don't know, the the bone I have to pick with, with it, it is like, there's an element of truth in the movie where they're identifying some very real problems and some very real issues, but then the movie's solution to that is is not a christian thing and so just just to just blanketly affirm the whole movie of like yeah this movie is great it's like i don't know i feel like we're affirming something that's not biblical um i don't know if you have thoughts on that or if i'm just monologuing again yeah well i think (laughs) and i think that's why like the the big crux does fall so flat for me because there are so many moments i think are funny or like identify something to use your word but once again, the solution is weak. Like, I'm the answer. Like, it seems like we're avoiding 
entering into the hard conversations. You're bringing up that this is hard, but your solution is, I'm just going to be myself. Um, it's like we're our own savior. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, like the, I am willing as a Christian to identify that these are problems, but I also have to be like, they're still going to be there. Um, and I think that's kind of beautiful in a way in and of itself of like, as a Christian, you're going to dive deep or you should dive deep into like, okay, these are really good points. Like, what does the Lord say like about these? What is the definition? And he's your reference point, like not self. I don't know how to articulate. It just seems so weak that the end of it all, the answer is like me. Yeah, because the Bible is clear that like, yes, we do come to a point where it's like, I don't know who I am. And like, you know, if you want to go in like, in a like addiction recovery, like step one is like part of step one says like, my life is unmanageable. Like, I don't know what to do. And I keep messing it up. And it's just like, who is Ken? You know, it's like how, you know, however you want to articulate this, the response should be to go cast yourself before God and say, God, like, can you please save me? Can you please help me? You know, like the blind man, in, in so many of the stories with Jesus of being like, Lord, please have mercy on me. Like that, that is the Christian response to the chaos of the world and the sinfulness in my own heart. Um, the answer of, to it is not, well, I'm just going to rise above and just accept the discomfort of life. And, and there is an element of accepting the discomfort of life and, and finding peace and hope through suffering. That is, that is true. And that kind of you know, the Barbie movie talks about that, but we don't find our own strength and our own hope in ourselves through that. And so, yeah. And then it's just going to end with you too. I think that's also weak. Like, okay, so you die and then your revelation kind of ends there. And hopefully maybe somebody else has that same revelation. But I think another lovely thing about being connected to tied to a higher being to God is like, okay, so this wisdom is true throughout the age and it can impact every generation, every female, every male. Like there is definition that is going to withstand the test of time. It's not going to end with me. And like, that's cool. And I'm, I, and maybe I just don't fully understand the humanist um, viewpoint of like, like your, it ends with you. Like, do you hope your kids catch on to it or I don't know. What's the point? Like, yeah, I think those are valid questions. Um, and like, I'm just reminded of like the conversation that Barbie had with Ruth at the ending kind of little conversation. It was like, she's like, can, can I please be a human? Like you're my creator. And the creator is just like, I never controlled you. And then she's like, just like mothers don't control their daughters and they just have to see them go forward into, you know, the next, the next generation. Yeah. And then it's like that leads and, and the movie tries and the humanist worldly tries to present that as like, it's, it's strangely beautiful how like we can't control things and yet we're all still here just experiencing life. And it's like, we can kind of chalk that up as like, it's this enigmatic, beautiful, like, um, journey we're on, but it's like, I don't know. It's, it seems kind of pointless. Like I am just going to die. And we can go Ecclesiastes with it. Like my kid might not see the beauty in life and might not see the beauty in suffering. And they might just be a terrible person or a depressed person. And like, maybe my influence does, maybe I don't matter. And so it seems like we're trying to kid ourselves into this idea that nihilism is somehow beautiful. Yeah. If, if, if we're removing God as the definition and the standard of what is, of what purpose and meaning is. Um, yeah, I'm also reminded when Barbie was like, I want to be part of the people who make meaning. Like that is such a humanistic idea too, of like, we make meaning, like, no, God gives us meaning. God gives us purpose and true freedom and true identity is found when we walk in that instead of walking in our own understanding. Right. And I think there's even just a level of like making meaning can be creating. And she uses that word before that of like, I... The, I don't know what she says, but like the idea of creating. And I think even as Christians, like we get to play a part in that. Like I can be like sharing the nature of God is like he allows me to create and to have ideas and to come up with things. And that's 
to belong to God doesn't mean you don't have that. And I think that's almost what I was catching from that viewpoint of like, okay, if you're connected to a maker, then you don't get to make. And it's like, no, I get to share like in that quality of God and I get to make beautiful things. I get to create. Um, It just has more meaning. I don't know. Yeah, it's like I am not... I don't make meaning and create because I'm a human. I make meaning and create because I'm made in the image of God, and God told me to rule over the earth and have dominion over it and to subdue the earth. And by me, I mean, you know, he told mankind. But, like, we are walking in the mandate that was given to Adam. And so there is meaning in creating. There is meaning in gardening and starting a business and raising a family and um, building a house, like all the things we do to create and invent and all of that. Like there is meaning in that. And I don't think we're trying to say that there isn't, but it's not meaningful because we say it is. It's meaningful because God says it is. And so if we don't realize that, then we take all of that creativity and ingenuity that God has given us, and then we make it about us. And then it just gets gross, and it it becomes meaningless, because we look around and we go, well, we have all this cool stuff, but then, like, well, what's the point? And then we, like, go back to the beginning of the Barbie movie, where she's like, I have everything, but, like, I'm going to die. Yeah, I'm not happy. And and I'm not happy, yeah. And so it's like, I I appreciate the movie, because I think it puts a lot of these truths, um, it like puts its finger on those truths and talks about them. I think it has the completely wrong answer to those problems, but it does identify a lot of very real overarching um, ideas and like problems that, that people run into. But um, um, but yeah, it's, it ans- it, it's a humanistic answer. It's not a Christian answer. Yeah, I like that way of saying that. I like that it identifies things, but its solution is wrong. If we're going to put it in like a sentence. That's the tweet that will, yeah. <laughs> if we're going to summarize the episode. I think it's also interesting if you follow like a humanistic pattern of like, okay, let's say that I give my daughter this wisdom. Would like a humanist say that we can reach perfection? Like that each generation gets a little bit better and better and better. Like there's almost hope as a Christian in the fact that this world is broken and it's going to stay broken until like God comes down. But like, if you don't have that hope, do you think that the world's going to reach perfection? Like that we're all going to arrive and like not have these contradictions and the patriarchy won't be a thing and women and males will be valued like the utopian ideal. Like, are we going to reach that? And I don't know. I take comfort in the fact that no, like that's not going to happen. And history has proven it's not going to happen. I don't know. That's almost like a weird comfort. Like I know the world is broken. And the only solution I know is like when the, it ends, when the Lord's going to come and he's going to redeem it all. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, from what I've learned and what I've read, like the, the humanist worldview definitely does see history as making progress and like we are moving forward. And I think you can definitely see that even in just like um, our culture today where it's like we look back on slavery and we go, man, those people were sure dumb. We, we've made a lot of progress and, and we don't have and I would I would agree with that just yeah. for the record. Um, but that but then we say like, ah, all of those heteronormative sexual worldviews in the past, we are so progressive like we understand that love is love and that you can be gay and like ah those people in the past like how dumb that they think that um sexuality is an objectively real thing obviously sexuality is a human construct we can define our own like sexual identity and and this and so like we do view these new ideas as progress and so, and if, and as we pursue them, and as we spread these ideas and affirm them, that like no humanity will be perfected, and we will um, achieve the I don't know I'll just throw out the word utopia, for lack of a better term. But like yes, there absolutely is this um, idea of progress in the humanist 
um, worldview, but then from the Christian perspective, it's like, yeah, I don't know if I'd call that progress. Yeah. <laughs> We're just like going around the mountain and going crazy and go- or, going insane and getting depressed and anxious along the way. Yeah. And like, the, <laughs> so once we fix all these big issues like slavery and heteronormatives, like we'll just like have no temptations or like we'll be past the temptations and everything will be perfect. We won't be tempted to fail or to hurt our brother. And I don't know, I can see the idea of progress, but I also feel like history, like these aren't new ideas. Like the Bible says nothing new is under the sun. I think history even shows that. Like and in Greek culture, there was a lot more liberal understanding of sexuality. And still, decades later, what do we have most? A lot of patriarchy. <laughs> like it, history repeats itself. Yeah, yeah. Or the other quip is like, if it doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. You know, it's like yeah. it's it's close enough that it's like the same thing. But I haven't heard that. Um, yeah, I don't even know who said it. But anyway, it's a thing. Um, I don't know. The last thing we can kind of wrap up here if we want. Um, I've got to go chaperone a dance here actually pretty soon. <laughs> um, but uh, with pa- so patriarchy, um, I've actually been reading a lot of books about that and thinking about that a lot. And th- I would say that's one thing I – well, okay, this is going to be a can of worms. Obviously, patriarchy in the Barbie movie is um, hyperbolic sort of i mean like they they make it way more explicit just obviously with like the corny things that everyone says of like oh yes like here in the real world like everything is run by men and da 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 and like they just say it like they say what our culture wants to hear and what our culture is saying um and i and and then the the unspoken thing is like it's toxic patriarchy and patriarchy is oppressive to women and the cat and and that's okay that's the other thing in the movie too is like the reason that barbie is cat called and the reason that she's objectified and the reason she has no political power or career power and the reason that all of these contradictions are happening that like the reason that speech had to happen that the mom gave like patriarchy is the cause of all of that and so even though the movie doesn't end with the movie doesn't end with affirming feminism as the answer to patriarchy. So I think that's where the movie takes a direction that a lot of people don't see or don't even walk away with. I think our culture is so taken with feminism that even when we watch the movie and Barbie lets go of feminism, like she relinquishes Barbie land, which is the feminist utopia, I think people walk away with this idea of like, no, like I saw patriarchy in the movie, and so like the answer to patriarchy is feminism. And and again, that that's like a humanistic response to potentially a real problem. But anyway, the other thing direction I was going with that is like if we look at scripture, I think it's fair to say that God's design for the church and even society is patriarchy. It is patriarchal. Yeah. And it's like, uh, what do we do with that? But I like I, I've listened to some books that have talked about this and I like how they describe it in that like yes the Old Testament and the New Testament are patriarchal men are called to be heads of their households elders in the church are men God presents himself as a at least a masculine character Jesus was a male human so like there is there is that and that's not to say there's no place for women and that's not to say that, that women have no value but there is a role that men play that is different from women and women have a role to play absolutely and they are indispensable they are highly valuable and and critical um in God's design but there is a patriarchal nature um to the Christian faith and the Jewish faith in the Old Testament but i like how in the bible it's not tyrannical the, the picture, the biblical picture of patriarchy is fathers who love their families s- self-sacrificially. And so the ultimate man, Jesus, displays manliness by dying for his bride. And that's the supreme of le- leadership. Right. Like, like that is it. The ideal leader, the ideal leadership, and then husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Self-sacrifice, yeah. It's self-sacrifice to the point of death. And so I think also as Christians, we then have to like untangle or, you know, to use a popular term, deconstruct 
our culture's definition of patriarchy. It's like it's a terrible thing. Down with the patriarchy. F the patriarchy, you know, is is a common phrase. Um, and it's like, okay, the response to bad patriarchy is not no patriarchy, biblically. The response to bad patriarchy is actually biblical patriarchy of men who are submitted to Christ, men who are um, being sanctified, men who are self-sacrificially loving those around them, loving their families, leading their families, and men who are accountable to God, accountable for their actions, accountable for their leadership and their conduct in the world. And so just because you're a leader does not mean you get to do whatever you want. You are accountable to God. You are accountable to Scripture. And so that's a whole—I don't know. I just think that's a whole other thing that kind of sneaks under the radar in the movie of, like, we we buy into our culture's definition of patriarchy and our culture's response to patriarchy, and and we forget, like, to look at Scripture and, and see what God says about all this. Yeah. It reminds me, like, what we're saying about self-referential— I'm not going to say that word. Yeah. Um, but like this idea of rising above the complication that like that could be the same solution for patriarchy. We're going to rise above it, but we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater on this one. That patriarchy is the design of God. I think there's an element of that. I really like the distinction that you're making that maybe leadership, like if we boil down to it, has a lot more sacrifice than we talk about. That the connection between leadership and then self-sacrifice, maybe we could bring that a little bit higher on the priority list of what leadership looks like. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think we so quickly go to, if I'm the leader, that means I can be self-serving. If I'm the leader, I have the authority to tell you to do what I want, or I have the authority to get what I want. And that that is that is not in the Bible, at least in a prescriptive of like what, that, that happens, but like God doesn't tell us that. And when the disciples are like, Jesus, like, how can I be great? In, how can I be great in your kingdom? He's like, be a servant. Mm-hmm. The last shall be first. The way up is down. And, and, and God um, exemplifies that. And Jesus exemplifies that. But yeah, leadership does not mean I get what I want. Leadership means I die the most or I die first. I, I give up what I want and serve others first and the most. Um, that's what leadership means, at least biblical leadership. Yeah. And it makes me think even of like my, I have no issue with submitting to Christ because I also know that this is his nature, that he is sacrificial, that he loves me, that he understands me. So you could say that he is the head, and I have no issue with that. You could say that my husband is the head. I have no issue with that. And I think a lot of that comes through the relationship that it's not this big, like I'm in, I'm, I don't feel inferior even though they're leading me. Like there's a level of, they love me so well that it is a gift to serve them mm. because I love them in return. It's not like a superiority or an inferiority thing. It's like, wow, like they love me so well and they get to lead because of that. And I think we kind of lose that sometimes in the conversation of like, Husbands being the head of the house or, you know, men in the church. It's like we, we lose that sometimes. Oh, but going back to something that you said, I think it's also important to articulate that there are um, the way that God describes even like Eve or like the phrase help meet in the Hebrew. Um, like he uses that same language, those same root words to describe himself. So even though he is masculine in nature, he has no qualms with like relating to the, these words that he would also describe the females as. Right. Yeah. So like females and their femininity is a reflection of God. Yeah. Like they are image bearers in their femininity. Yeah. Um, I actually had an interesting conversation with someone this week where they, um, um, yeah, where um, they, I was talking to someone and they were like, yeah, men can be more like Christ because Christ was a man and, and because men are men and Christ was a man, like women can't be as much like Christ as much as men can. And I was like, I, I don't know if that's actually true. Um, I can maybe kind of see where, where you get that, 
but that's not a biblical idea. Like femininity is a great thing, and it's not great because Larissa says it's great. It's great because God says it's great. God invented femininity, and women should be feminine because it reflects who God is. And so I don't know, that might cross some wires of like, wait, he's a masculine character and we use male pronouns for him, but he also like is the author of femininity. It's like, yeah, that's somehow that's all true at the same time. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it's important to remember that and, and talk about that and then celebrate that. We should celebrate femininity, biblical, godly femininity, right. um, and masculinity as well. And, and then we also shouldn't do what our culture says where it's like, they're completely interchangeable. Like a woman can be a man, a man can be a woman. I can be whatever gender I want. I can be feminine or masculine depending on how I want to self-define myself. It's like, no, that's not true either. Like they are distinct things and they both should be celebrated, but they're not interchangeable and they're not the same thing. Um, and, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can fully define what all that means and what that looks like practically, but I think in principle, um, scripture is clear about, about those ideas. Yeah. And I, I had a similar conversation with someone this week and just like that quite literally males because they have XX chromosome can relate to Jesus because they have XX chromosome. And I had just like a little bit of hesitancy of like, this is true for sure. But like you're saying. The chromosome part. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that a male, you can relate to Jesus in a way that I can't, but I can, I can also relate to God and Jesus in a way that you can't. That's beautiful. Like mm. we need both of those things. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much I would stand by that maybe with Jesus, but like I do relate to God in a way that's like soft and emotional and nurturing. Mm. And like, that's good. Like yeah. it's good to have both like the self-sacrificial, the protector, the leader. And it's good to have somebody who's like, who is like emotional and sensitive, empathetic yeah. and relationship oriented. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think, I think men are X, Y instead of X, X, oh, but my bad. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah, know. Thank you. I'm not a biologist anyway, so yeah, I but, said that wrong. Uh, doesn't really matter. Mm, they but. said it wrong and I think about it. <laughs> Fair enough. But anyway, I don't know, unless you've got <laughs> other, uh, things you wanted to mention. I just, I don't know. I appreciated the Barbie movie because it raises a lot of actually like important conversations. I don't think that the Barbie movie's solution to the problems it identifies are biblical really at all. But I do think that it raises conversations that Christians should be participating in. And so that's kind of what motivated me to want to talk to you about this. Um, So cool. Well, I'm I'm curious how many people we've uh, confused or angered or (laughs) frustrated or whatever, but uh, I don't know. Uh, If you're listening and you've got thoughts or comments or questions, I'd personally love to hear from you. I don't know if Larissa wants to hear from you. I would. uh, would. My email is in the show notes, and uh, I think... These are important conversations, and I don't think the conversation that we've had here today has been perfect, or I don't think we've covered everything that needs to be covered, but um, it's a starting point. So, anyway. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for being on. And to the listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Um, I guess, I don't know, for you, is that something that resonated with you in particular or? Do I need to pause?